0: Darling, and I'm Hannah Glaver.
1: We used to work together at an evangelical church that held a hierarchical position on gender roles, a church that believed God had chosen men to fulfill the primary roles of spiritual leadership. This environment created some unique and significant challenges for us and the other women among us as we strive to pursue our respective callings, from wage
0: gaps and androcentric hiring practices to sexist standards and marginalizing expectations we've reconnected to explore and process our experiences, as well as the systemic issues behind them. And hopefully, we'll shed some light on why gender
1: hierarchy can't represent God's best for women, the church, or humanity. This
0: is Stained Glass Young. In October of
1: 2013, Oregon Public Broadcasting came to my church in Portland to broadcast an episode of a daily news radio show. A local author had written a book about a new generation of Christians, followers of Jesus who were challenging the stereotype that all evangelicals are aligned with a far-right political agenda. The show had come to interview a few progressive leaders who exemplified this movement. Among the interviewees was my lead pastor, He spoke at length about our church's flagship values, the very things that had brought me to its doors—social activism and service, racial reconciliation, and authentic, compassionate community. He talked about our church's journey to break out of the right-wing box by discarding the fearful sense that Christianity needed to be kept safe, that we needed to legislate morality. He said, What we preach about Jesus should be embodied in the way Jesus lived—the way He loved, who He was, how He treated people— It was a compelling case for following Jesus in a way that looked quite different from the Christianity that seemed constraining and even threatening to many outside of it. About halfway through the broadcast, the show's host read my pastor a question that had been submitted by a listener. Do you consider yourself to be open-minded, they asked? And if so, why can't women be in certain leadership positions in this congregation? There are no women elders, and there's only one woman pastor, but she pastors to other women. In response to this question, my pastor introduced a term I would hear again and again to describe how my church's leaders approach this issue—wrestle. He said, I think open-minded means that we're going to continue to wrestle with the scriptures and understand it in the context we're in. He then went on to say that what he called the women in ministry issue was a debatable one within evangelical Christianity, and that our church held a middle-of-the-road position. On the one hand, we let women preach at Sunday services and lead ministries. On the other, we did not permit women to join our church's highest governing entity. The theology behind this position wasn't the only thing about it our leaders were wrestling with. My pastor said, like, man, how do we hold this position and not oppress women? Because clearly, Jesus wants women to become everything they're supposed to be. We're trying to wrestle these things to the ground and have that honest conversation. I wasn't at the broadcast, I would listen to it online later, but I had, and would again many times, witness my pastor describing this issue using nearly the same words. And when he talked about it, his brow would furrow and his hands would kind of like ball into tight fists with his hand gestures. Um, The tension he described and exhibited appeared to be really sincere. And at times this was a comfort to me. However, there were a few things about this honest conversation that really troubled me. First of all, because women were barred from becoming elders, we had no representation at the highest decision-making level of this conversation. So whatever the ultimate verdict, it would be determined by men alone. Second, the sort of debatable middle-of-the-road position we had struck me as a challenging and confusing space for the women who were trying to pursue their calling there. That's a group that I would join within a year of that conversation. And finally, there was that phrase, because Jesus wants women to become everything they're supposed to be. I would always get this like twinge of anxiety um, when I heard these words, because they suggested that this women in ministry thing was about more than what positions or roles or jobs I couldn't fill in the church. It was about my identity and how the God I believe in sees me. It's, it's who we're supposed to be. This is serious stuff. So five people were interviewed for this broadcast. Four of them were white men. The fifth was a Korean American woman who was a pastor and a professor at a Christian university. As my pastor wound down his answer, the show's host turned to her and asked if she saw this issue as a theological one or a personal one. And she said, it becomes personal when it becomes oppressive. And it has been oppressive to women in the past and in the present. So those are stories that need to be brought to light and reconciled.
0: So that's a big part of what we want to do here. We have stories like that to bring to light. We know and have talked to many women with similar stories, and we want to understand and share how the church might do better. Hi Hannah! Hello Eileen!
1: This is kind of surreal. (laughs) Like, if you had told me five years ago, when we were basically office neighbors, kind Mm -hmm. of, um, that we'd be sitting here doing this one day, I would have been taken aback, to say the least. And yet, here we are. I'm very glad that you are here, um, even knowing that, you know... This journey might get a little difficult at times. Mm-hmm. This isn't always the easiest stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I'm, uh, but I'm here for it. First episode, and what are we talking about today? So we're going to kick off the podcast by talking
1: about hierarchical church positions. So church doctrines that teach a man above woman hierarchy. Very light stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we started to begin to approach that in the opening story. Um, but our thesis statement is that these positions impact more than just like the specific roles that are offline limits to women in the church, whether that's preaching or elder or what have you. Um, We're going to share a bit of our own stories from working and being very involved in an environment with a position like this in place and talk about how deep the ramifications of that can be.
0: Yeah. And as we do, um, listeners, you might notice that we've chosen not to include the names of the churches or organizations or people in these stories who haven't given us consent to be referenced. Um, We don't have any desire to cancel churches or people or compromise any careers, but we are very interested in changing the systems and environments that we're talking about. Yes.
1: What I keep coming back to as far as the person I feel compelled to speak to with Mm -hmm. this conversation is women who are in a similar place and are asking a couple different questions. And one is is it just me?
0: Mhm.
1: Am I alone in this? Yeah. And the other one is am I crazy? Mhm. There's so many different dynamics going on in some of these ministry spaces like, you know, first of all women, it's it's harder to access these more authoritative higher up roles whether it's pastor, elder, the executive level of pastorship. And so it can feel like, well, it's because I'm not those things that I'm subordinated, mm-hmm. that I'm receiving certain kind of pushback when I try to grow into certain spaces or access certain spaces. But there's also that sense of like looming in the backdrop. At least it was for me of like, is it because I'm a woman? Yeah, And it takes such a long time to get to a place where one, you feel like you can acknowledge that. Because you know, we're in an environment, we're expected to show so much grace to the people around us, and rightly so, but that can create a barrier to fully understanding and process what's going on in a lot of these spaces mm-hmm. where hierarchy is a very real challenge for women. And two, it can be very isolating mm-hmm. because it's hard to even compare notes with other people who might be going through the same thing, whether it's because women continue to be a minority in these spaces mm-hmm. or because there's a lot of fear
0: and hesitation to talk about it. And I think of the men that—some of whom were even mentioning that like maybe were a part of some of the damage done Mm -hmm. in each other's lives that one maybe didn't know or maybe knew but didn't know how to get out of it or maybe are now kind of coming to that realization. And other men who are out there who are—whether they're pastors in ministry, maybe grew up in the church, and they're trying to figure out, like, okay, so something's wrong. We see that the system— is biased. How do I own my part in that bias system? Because this isn't about blame and shame. This is just going like the system is. It mm-hmm. operates one way. Um, but how do we move forward? So hopefully, this isn't. We're not providing all the answers, but we're opening a conversation up.
1: Yes, we should probably start by sharing
0: a bit about ourselves. That um, sounds nice. Yeah, Hannah, you wanna you wanna go first? Yeah. Sure, I do a plethora of creative things. From being a touring musician, I do art direction. I'm also a worship leader, an event manager. Um, I also grew up in the church. Um, both my parents were very involved. My dad was a worship leader, but would moonlight in a surf rock band, and daylight as a park ranger. Um, ultimately, our entire lives were very much centered around the rhythms um, of a church calendar. I'm also a big Bible and justice nerd, so that's what I actually moved to Portland for and what I got my degrees in and what drew me to the church that we both were a part of. Um, I attended and worked on that staff ultimately as the worship and arts director for a total of 11 years. It's a long time. Tell us about you, Eileen. Sure. I'm a
1: writer, editor, and communications professional, and I've done those things in a ministry context pretty much my entire career. I was communications director at the church we were both part of. I, too, was raised in the church. Uh, Both my grandfathers were pastors. My mom's father had a pretty large congregation. He was the pastor of a Hispanic church in Garden Grove, California. Um, So we grew up literally on the church campus as every one of the adults was involved in serving in ministry and uh, did not intend to get into vocational ministry myself, but as I started doing Journalism and communications and writing, just the things that I cared about (laughs) seemed to fall into ministry spaces. So that's where I ended up, and technically still am. I work at a a faith-based nonprofit now. So our stories first begin to overlap when we both start working at our church. You worked there for, what, eight years? Yeah, I was there for eight years. And I worked there for seven, and we both eventually became department directors, me in communications and you in worship and arts. And if I remember correctly, at the time of my promotion, you were the only other female director who didn't
0: specifically work in children's ministry or women's ministry. Yeah. I mean, it was a very unique time. We worked mostly with men, like every other staff member that was above us was a man. And there was a doctrinal position in place that included uh, men over woman hierarchy
1: So the position our pastor was talking about in that interview is called complementarianism. And essentially complementarians believe that men and women are equal in worth, equal in creation, but that God has designated some role differences that limit women from ministry positions, certain offices in the church, and roles in the church and in life, really. We had something called a position paper which was a pretty succinct explanation of what our church believed and practiced in relation to, I mean, they called it women in ministry. It is like a page and a half long. So as a member of the communications team, it was always a little vexing because we are so verbose about other things. And this was a very, very succinct and short treatise on this topic. One of the things it starts with is that, as expressed in that interview, our church held the line that this issue is a debatable one. Or the way they put it is one in where differences of faithful orthodoxy are acceptable. People on either side of the spectrum were allowed to coexist in this congregation, which wasn't a bad thing. The church's position itself was that Christ's gift are equally given to men and women, but that God has designated men to fill the role of primary spiritual leadership, which they defined as the elder role. One of the things about complementarianism that's frustrated me for a really long time is that it's made up of these two ideas that are not very harmonious. So the first is that men and women are equally made in the image of God, right? And then there's a second one that says each gender is meant for different roles. But what complementarians mean by different roles is really the exclusion of women from some roles and subordination to men's authority in a lot of different dynamics. So it's, it's not really different we're talking about, it's limits. Theology is not the focus of this podcast, and the main reason for that is that there's excellent, thoughtful scholarship out there that presents a compelling biblical case for gender equality. Um, Some of my go-tos are Lucy Peppiet, Scott McKnight, and and N.T. Wright. But what we do need to do here is acknowledge that how the church has interpreted the Bible remains one of the biggest barriers to gender equality, and I would say, honestly, the most sincere battle. It's the last gauntlet many people who would otherwise be open to change have to contend with. In this environment. So it's definitely part of our story and we'll touch on it a little bit. The theology our church had on this issue, um, they cited four key passages to explain what they had to say about it. So to back up this first idea of men and women being equal in creation, our church cited Genesis 127, which says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And Galatians 3.28, which says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So these are verses that they use to affirm the equality of humans before God as his image bearers, regardless of gender. But then, to support complementarian role differences, their paper cites two additional texts. 1 Timothy 2, 12-15, which includes the line, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet, and ends with this encouraging statement. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And then the second text they use is 1 Corinthians eleven two 2-12, which talks about head coverings for women and says, A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So that, as we were saying earlier, is describing more than role differences. It seems to say something about women's relationship with God and their status before God. Throughout my time in complementarian environments, I've encountered the attitude that a plain reading of the Bible clearly prescribes a man-above-woman hierarchy. But these texts used to support that attitude are really anything but straightforward, particularly if you're also trying to affirm the created equal idea in virtually the same breath. To use 1 Corinthians 11 to prescribe gender hierarchy is to affirm that only man is the image and glory of God. And a plain reading of 1 Timothy 2 seems to suggest that women are saved by something very different than what the gospel talks about. So these contradict uh, Genesis 1.27, Galatians 3.28, and some pretty key biblical themes. So clearly bottom line is there's more work to be done to understand these texts before one can responsibly use them to impose restrictions on women. So I'm curious, Hannah, um, when you got involved, what did you know about this position? Um, How did you
0: learn about it, essentially? Um, Honestly, it fit within my framework at the time. So I didn't question any of the actions. Um, And they were doing such big strides towards other clear spaces of injustice that I didn't even think about women's roles. I had friends who were very upset about it, much more than I was. And I didn't want to create any drama. So I stayed pretty quiet and uh, honestly uneducated about it. I didn't chase anything down. And at the time, um, I would have classified as some form of complementarian. I didn't know there was other options. Anything that deviated would have been dangerous, suspicious, too liberal, potentially non-biblical, and (laughs) Defiantly feminist, which was very scary to me at the time and I'd always hear about how women singers were maybe being dramatic or divas um, and it was probably wise that they weren't leading the entire thing because you never knew what they would do or say or if they might burst into tears which you just couldn't predict and I made it my goal to never be like that um, mm. so I made myself pretty yeah. non-emotive and as almost non-feminine as possible. Um, I remember the days when it would be special to have a woman read the Bible before the service started or sing more than one song. And it was a gigantic day on the three times a year that our female pastor, who was an excellent preacher, was actually allowed to preach. And they would always schedule me to lead on those same days just Mm -hmm. to be super (laughs) heavy-handed. And another thing, we'd also always get scheduled on Mother's Day, And we were both single. So we just were this visual representation of what we were supposed to stand for. Um, That did start to change a little bit when they hired me, but that was my best understanding of what our stance on women was. What about you? Yeah, so similarly, I grew up in complementarian
1: churches. Um, As a youth, child through youth, I honestly thought it was something I could avoid because I had these strong women role models in my life and I knew in theory that my church was complementarian and that women were limited from doing certain things. But I always thought, yeah, no, I'm just not gonna, I don't need to pay attention to that too much. Then I got involved in a church independently of my family as an adult and started to experience those limits a little differently. The first church I got involved in when I moved to Portland, which was sort of my first time away from home, outside of college. Um, and, uh, one Sunday, our pastor ended his message with the call to action, men find a mission, women find a man with a mission you can get on board with. And I was, you know, not thinking about marriage at all as a 23 year old professional trying to find a, you know, really good job and stuff and wanting to use my skills and my, you know, uh, talents for, for good things and for the gospel essentially, Um, and found that just so defeating. And I started going to our church instead, saw you leading on stage, saw our one pastor who was a woman preaching on Sundays and like, okay, there's a little more space here for women to do things. And um, started to get involved with the communications department and uh, my uh, supervisor there, wanted to make sure that I I knew exactly what I was getting into. So he was actually my introduction to like, yes, okay, we do let women preach and we do have women leading ministries, but you should know that there's this whole position called elder that's off limits and it does impact our culture and our environment as well. So I'd like to say I went in with my eyes pretty open to what was written down to what was doctrinal, but of course there was so much that remained that was nebulous in how just women are treated differently and how advancement and accessing things like mentorship and leadership development looked very different being a woman in such a male-dominated space. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like to work and pursue a vocation in this complementarian environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never intended on working in ministry, and I honestly think that helped um, because I never wanted to prove that I belonged in that space or in leadership because I I honestly didn't believe that I should be there. It wasn't worth my time when I thought that the Bible was pretty clear about how we are supposed to spend our energy loving others, and I didn't want to waste my time and energy proving that I belonged in that Mm -hmm. space. Um, And so I stepped into spaces with This unexpected skill and proficiency based off of my upbringing and then just some natural talent and stuff that I grew into, leadership skills and talent that grew over the course of time. And I was forced to come to different theological conclusions about inclusivity and roles of women because I saw God doing something in and through me that I didn't have a framework for. Um, I didn't think it was possible. It was just, it was happening. And it wasn't being supported by people around me. The pathway wasn't being paved for me. Um, At the end of the day, I'd look at my time in that environment and my understanding of self and women's roles as it was confusing. There were so many roadblocks by the end. Um, There there was kind of nowhere else for me to go.
1: Yeah, I can really relate to confusion. Um, I think one thing that took a really long time for me to recognize was According to what was written down, like what was sort of doctrine in our church, uh, the one roll off limits was elder, right? Everything else in theory should have been open. But a lot of times what I was discovering was that wasn't the case. There was something that trickled down from this idea of um, male leadership as transcultural, which is explicitly said in The position our church held at that time. One of the other challenges was that sort of of middle-of-the-road position where um, whether or not the Bible dictates a hierarchy defined by gender. Saying that's debatable often created a space where you really didn't know who or what you might come up against as you tried to do things. Where one leader might create um, access for you and might encourage you into something, another one might try to impose a limit because of where they fell on the spectrum of positions on this issue. Another thing was that often it was the women themselves who were called in to defend their position when people, you know, for example, we'd have women preach on Sundays, and of course, we'd get emails from congregants who were trying to understand why we allowed women to preach. Um, and it would be the women themselves who would have to respond. You have a story about that, Hannah, don't you? Do you want to share which how one? you were promoted, <laughs> essentially? Because
0: both of us started yeah. in administrative positions. I actually didn't. So no. Mine wasn't okay. administrative, which is why, and I never should be. <laughs> Not very organized. Um, we both started as assistants. So yeah, I was a ministry yeah. assistant. Um, I started in a pastoral leadership program. It was like an internship. I was, at the time, the only female on it with all of these men who wanted to essentially be church planters. And I was told when I started, we don't have anything for you and you will never be this, but do you want to learn with these men and read the same books. And I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. I never want to be this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be a missionary. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I, I was going to be all these other things I didn't expect to be working at a church. And so I wasn't offended with the idea that I wasn't going to be on the pastoral leadership track. Um, and after two years of this internship program I eventually was offered a paid position because that was two years of unpaid, and that was the, it was the case for everybody. Most people were raising support and kind of operating like a missionary, and I was offered a part-time position to be a ministry assistant, um, and I did that for another two years. In that position, I actively ran a lot of the ministry functionally. Um, I did a lot of the management stuff, so I was doing band scheduling. I was leading three different bands, ran arts events. I wrote songs. I organized retreats. Like I I was doing a lot of the creative and management side of things as well as being a primary creative voice. Four years into this track, I was working a Good Friday service. We had just had an admin quit in a very big way. So suddenly with a week's notice, I was a full-time employee the week before Easter, and I was running a combined service with another church. The church that we combined with, they they took a bit more of a, like even harder of a complementarian stance than we did at the time. So I was tasked with leading worship. So all I was doing was kind of merging two bands so we had equal representation at this combined service. I was friends with the musicians. It was an easy ask. And when I met up with um, the, the lead person there at the time, I was met with the comment of, we don't feel comfortable with you leading worship because it misrepresents what we believe about what women's roles in the church are, and so I'm actually going to lead up there with you so that we don't misrepresent to our congregation. And I didn't quite know what to do with it, so I brought it to my boss and I present. I was like, I was, I was kind of put in an awkward position. Um, this is the scenario. Um, I, I was told that I. I'm not quite allowed to lead this thing that you've tasked me to lead on this combined service and that actually a guy has to lead alongside me. And the, the response was, oh, I know him. He'd never say something like that. That's kind of crazy. And I was like, yeah, but that, that is what he said. Um, what do you want me to do? Nothing was done. Nothing was resolved. And so we get to actually like halfway through the service. So we did two back-to-back services and we met in between just to make sure all the transitions were right and how we felt if we wanted to make any last minute changes. Our lead pastor was like, "Well, that went really well. Um, I think it. I think the combined service went really well." And uh, my boss went, "Yeah, especially after what they said to Hannah." <laughs> and so the lead pastor says, "Well, what do they? What do they say to Hannah that she can't lead by herself because she's a girl?" <laughs> and the lead pastor kind of claps back and says, "Well, what did you say to that?" <laughs> he didn't have a response because he didn't. Nothing yeah. was said. A week later, I was offered a full time director position. Um, so it was in the wake of um, a combined service where we. I was told overtly that I could not lead alone because I was a woman, not being represented or stood up for on a staff level, and not being believed. But you were qualified for the position. Yeah, I had been doing the work of that role for a while, for many years at that point. It was halfway through my time there. I mean, what's always baffled me about that story is how far our church got
1: into the weeds of not really checking that that might be an issue, hosting a Good Friday service with this other church and, you know, putting it in your hands to a certain degree without, you know— checking that that would work and also obviously not protecting you when it didn't that's a very relevant example of what i was describing about the challenge of this debatable space even in situations where you've been assigned a role you can still encounter limits or someone barring your way because of what they believe and as in this situation our leader's conviction to defend the roles our position paper did permit us to have was pretty lukewarm So we've talked a bit about what it's like for us to operate in that space of a church that is wrestling with what to do about gender hierarchy. But what does it look like on the side of leading in that space, particularly when as an individual you've reached a different position on hierarchy, but your church, so your establishment, has yet to get there? It's not just women who want to see the church become a more equitable, inclusive space. Fortunately, a friend and former coworker of ours was willing to talk with me about his experience. So here's Charlie Shaw, who currently serves as a pastor and an elder in the Presbyterian Church of America. Charlie, so good to talk to you. Um, Can you start by introducing yourself?
2: Yeah. Uh, So my name is Charlie Shaw. I'm a pastor ordained in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, I've served in the PCA are about four years. I've been in pastoral ministry of one kind or another uh, since, uh, I guess, around 2010, so 12 years or so.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, that you have maybe more interdenominational experience than like <laughs> of the pastors and leaders I know.
2: <laughs> I, I guess that's a blessing. Uh, maybe, who knows? I grew up Southern Baptist. My first real Pastoral ministry job was at a non denominational church that merged with an Acts 29 church. So then we became Acts 29. And then I came to Portland, was at another non denominational church for a while. And then I sort of got drafted into the PCA as a free agent. Uh, It's a good, mostly uh, a wonderful fit. Happy to be there. Uh, The PCA is all about faithfulness to the scriptures, to the gospel, and obedience to the Great Commission. And that's easy to get on board with.
1: Could you share a little bit about your experience with uh, gender roles and sort of the women in ministry issue in the church? Um, And we could start with what were you taught growing up?
2: Yeah. My dad is a pastor. So I grew up in his church under his ministry. And it was not really something that we talked about. There were women who led various things in the church, but I don't remember any female pastors. I do remember in the... 90s going to the Southern Baptist Convention and there was a lot of tension and a lot of strife around women's ordination, which led up to the SBC making you know sort of a hard official, this is our stance. but I didn't understand what the what it was really about. I guess the issue sort of got on my radar. I was in middle school and I remember sitting at a lunch table with two friends. One guy, his dad was a United Methodist pastor. My dad is a Southern Baptist pastor, and there, then there was a guy who was involved in the Church of Christ. I think his dad was a was a leader in the church. We were church kids. We found each other <laughs> in the school. And I remember the guy who came from the Church of Christ said something negative about women pastors. And I remember saying, what are you talking about? I don't get it. And he said, women can't be pastors. And I remember saying, that's dumb. Like, yeah, I can. And then he said, dude, First Timothy 2.12. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. And I remember going and looking it up. And going, this can't mean what it sounds like it means. And that's when I began to struggle with this.
1: Um, so what about when you started working in ministry? What were some of the things you learned or the ministries you were working with believed?
2: Yeah, I guess early on, I you know, like youth intern, started playing in worship bands. It hardly came up there. I do remember a time when our when the youth group went to a youth camp, and the speaker at the camp was a lady. And I have a very clear memory of our youth pastor sitting behind me, goofing off during the sermon. And I remember thinking how strange that was, because he's a youth pastor. He should be paying attention. And I remember once I became an intern, some memory came up about that camp. He goes, oh, was that the camp with the woman pastor? And I said, yeah. And then he said something negative. I guess maybe he was goofing off because he was uncomfortable. I, I I don't know. But that was one of the first times in ministry that this came onto my radar. And then when the little church that we were in, that I started out in non-denominational church, when we merged with an Acts 29 church, and in Acts 29, there was like a statement of faith, and it was very basic Christianity type things, things like, Jesus rose from the dead, like Apostles' Creed level stuff. In there, it's a statement about complementarianism and women not being ordained, wives submitting to husbands in the home. And I remember thinking, this is strange that women submitting to husbands and not being ordained is in this, on the same level as Apostles' Creed and like basic church unity stuff. I thought this was sort of a secondary issue. It was treated as a gospel issue. And that was... It was a culture that I, I guess, sort of learned, and at the time I adopted wholeheartedly. What about now? <laughs> now my view is is very different. So I serve in a denomination that is largely what I would call complementarian culturally. So in our Book of Church Order, when it talks about elders and deacons, uh, there's a chapter on each. You know what they are, uh, what they're supposed to do. In each of those, there's a little line that says. Uh, this office is open to men only. So women cannot be deacons or elders, pastors. So no, we don't ordain women. Uh, it's my personal view that the Bible does not restrict ordination to men only, that the offices of elder or deacon, and I would include pastor in elder, uh, are open to anybody who's called and qualified, recognized by the church. Then that brings the question of why wouldn't you? And then there's a whole host of conversation around the gospel and culture and context and mutual submission like we find in Ephesians 5, submit to one another in the Lord. Church authority, how do we change things? How do we pursue healthy change? And so for the unity of the church, there's places where I would say, okay, I can live with this. There's other places where I say, "I I can't live with this. But figuring out that tension and when and where to protest and when and where to submit can be really difficult.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Do you ever feel as though because of the the limits for women that your community might be missing out on something?
2: Sure. That is something that I feel weighing on me. On the other hand, I think that our community could miss something good if, if this was something I tried to force and our church wasn't ready for it or up for it. So that's one thing. Another thing is doing what I can to be disciplined to listen, to actually listen to the women in our church. And I've found that the women in our church tell me what they need and how I can serve them. As elders, we've been given authority by God and by the congregation. That should look like Jesus's authority. Whenever we put hierarchy where the Bible doesn't put hierarchy, we are asking for trouble and people are going to get hurt. There's nothing wrong with hierarchy in itself. The Bible would affirm it in some places. And when it does affirm it, it means service. If that's how Jesus exercises his authority, then as pastors, what are we doing when we hide out in our offices and don't talk to the people on a Sunday? What are we doing when somebody has a question for us and we shoot them to somebody else because we're above that? We're above being questioned. Even worse, when a woman in our congregation wants to speak with us and we refuse to meet with them because maybe she'll seduce me. I mean, how ridiculous. Or there's a lady in our congregation comes to us and we insist that she comes through her husband.
1: Do you think that hierarchy has been misused in the context of church authority? Do you think that's common?
2: Yes, it's so common. It's like trying to explain to a fish what water is. It is everywhere. This is an area where I really believe that the gospel is confronting us, and we need to we need to have ears to hear. We find in the scriptures, one place in particular is in Revelation 1, 6, that he has made his people a kingdom of priests. That's men and women together, a kingdom of priests. And if a woman is a priest in God's kingdom, but she can't come to talk to me, her pastor, who's been ordained to serve her, Because I think that that's not her place as a woman. I'm uncomfortable with that.
1: What are some things that you've seen, and this could be any of the ministry environments you've been involved in, that strike you as harmful or marginalizing to women in the church?
2: I have seen some real nasty situations. And a lot of them come down to doing church on the basic assumption that women should not be trusted. It seems to me that that sort of bias is very common. Men are much more quickly believed. Another thing is when we take what's written and then we, Jesus always got on to the Pharisees because they took what was written in the law and they added their own laws to it. And I think we do that. So only ordained people in our denomination preach. Um, Women cannot be ordained. That very quickly gets translated to women can preach. Now, I know that from the woman's perspective, it is fair for her to say, they won't let me preach because I'm a woman. I get that. She's speaking from her experience. But it's not fair for a trained pastor or elder who's taken ordination vows, who knows the polity, has the book of church order, to look at her and say, our policy is you can't preach because you're a woman. And that happens Our denomination just released uh, like a 200-page report about abuse in the church. The team who put it together was a mix of pastors and elders and then professionals who worked as counselors or psychologists, things like that. Many of those were women. In fact, the team was pretty much half male and female. And in our last general assembly, the whole team gave presentations on the report. And a couple of the women who were credentialed professionals in their field, but also Christians, reported on this is what abuse is. This is my view as a psychologist. And these women use the scripture in their view because they're Christians, because this is a church meeting. because we believe the Bible. Right after, somebody, I can't assume their motives, I don't know, went to the microphone and said, hey, we're, we're out of balance. And we had women exhort from the scriptures over men in this assembly, and that's inappropriate. Now, the response of the crowd was mixed. Uh, the moderator stepped in and clarified these women were not preaching. But something in me, I'll speak to myself something in me privately, I got angry. I expressed my feelings in that moment. But I look back on that experience, and it grieves me that the guy stood up and said what he said, even though maybe he was trying to honor Christ and I respect that. It still happened. And the ladies who shared heard it. And every lady in that room, I would assume heard it. It also grieves me that I went automatically to try to be the the savior in the situation. On the other hand, you know, there were some ladies sitting in front of us, and I, I kind of hoped that they heard that maybe there was there were some pastors in here that were upset with what happened. But it's tricky. It's not a black and white, and this stuff is hard. And I keep coming back again, Ephesians 5, submit to one another. That's really hard to do.
1: I will say that as a woman who's encountered similar sort of call outs of this space isn't for you or this posture is inappropriate for you. Knowing there were other individuals, particularly with similar amounts of authority in my midst who felt differently and stood up for me when they had the opportunity was hugely meaningful. I do. I do have a question about that. Do you think that having rules in place that limit women create an excuse for men to behave that way, for, for men to call them out in that way? And what do you do with that as a leader?
2: So I do think there are times to go Old Testament prophet, call something out publicly with full emotional expression turned on. I want to be Christ-like in the way that I work for and speak for and fight for justice. I think it's really easy, especially in Portland, uh, for me to retreat from doing that publicly or in my office and just gripe to my friends about how terrible things are. I just keep coming back to the fact that Jesus is the one who gives dignity to women, and I need to follow him. When I'm following him and doing things his way and saying what he wants me to say, women will be dignified. But if I'm doing this out of my own strength or passions or agenda, it might feel good for a while, but it's not going to be sustainable change. It's also helpful to remember that Jesus is sanctifying his church. The, the women in his in his church will receive the public place of dignity. It's happening because Jesus sanctifies his church. We need to follow Jesus into that.
1: Do you think a journey towards changing some of the limits that exist for women is yeah. a part of that sanctification?
2: Yeah, for sure. Every year there's talk of changing the restrictions on women in the diaconate. That's kind of a hot issue right now. I'm all for it. I don't see in the near future changing around eldership, but you know, this is where God has called me. So it's, it's hard.
1: Yeah. What are the, some of the most like hopeful moments, redemptive transformative moments you've seen yeah. in the way that women are treated, welcomed, embraced yeah. in, in the church.
2: I'm going to go out on a limb and just, I kind of think that if you're a woman and you've been in church for a while, you've experienced some sort of injustice and bias against you that isn't warranted. When women who I know have been hurt keep showing up, that's incredible to me. It's amazing. And it's a reminder that uh, they're not there for me. They're there because of Jesus. That ministers to me.
0: And that word for that. Oh, man, I, I love Charlie. He takes such a, a humble and thoughtful posture towards leadership, and I really appreciate um, the the balance that he kind of stands in, coming from a non-denominational background and then stepping into a very specific um, denomination of the Presbyterian Church. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And you know, I'd
1: say there are areas where you know we differ on how immediate and maybe direct our approach to doing away with hierarchy should be. But as I mentioned in that conversation during the time that we worked with Charlie, he was very much one of those people who would express and model a more equitable approach to including women, mm-hmm. and that was definitely not like a popular approach for an aspiring pastor to have at that time and in that space. And I love the way the Bible informs his convictions, like particularly what he said about how scripture affirms the dignity and agency women have in that kingdom.
0: We've heard a lot of leaders essentially say, this stuff is really hard and they don't deal with issues. Um, And Charlie would also say that too, but often that sort of statement uh, becomes a way to explain why nothing is being done, or why it's okay to let problematic things kind of let lie for a long time. And with Charlie, I do see uh, a faithfulness in believing that Jesus has the power to facilitate change. But at the same time, He is influencing the spaces He can and advocating where He can. And that makes for a very meaningful ally. So one thing in particular that's always struck me from how
1: our position paper was worded um, was that it ended with this this statement. It says, "We recognize that history has shown that men often use their leadership to oppress women. Some men have caused great harm to women in the name of the church leadership. As elders, we desire and pray that we will follow the model of Christ, who led with love and empowered the church." So it ends with this acknowledgement that there's been problems in this sort of complementarian gender hierarchical system in the past and sort of the way our elders address it is to say, we want to do better. We're going to pray and we're going to work to do better. But what has always struck me is what a huge exercise in trust that is for women to promise to do better in a system that we know has caused harm to them in the past without
0: any change to that system. Do you feel like in your time on staff at that church that you saw that change actually occur? Do you, do you feel like you saw that represented, the things that they're promising to hope for, and mm-hmm. they're praying for?
1: So the church we worked for eventually took a big step forward, and they changed their position from complementarian to what they called mutualist, which is like egalitarian, but they liked the word mutualist because it has less of a connotation with political feminism and some of the agendas that go along with that. And they even began allowing women to become elders, But one, that's a story that process is a story that we'll likely very much get into in this podcast somewhere down the road. The other thing is that sadly, by the time we got around to doing this, so many women had basically reached the end of what they could do vocationally in our environment and had left it.
0: Um, Hannah, you were one of those women. It didn't end up changing until three years after I left. And even then it was a I, I just feel like it was late. I think of like the term wrestling, like how long can you wrestle with an idea before you have to actually reckon with the fact that there's casualties at hand? I just don't I don't feel like there needs to be as many and as many people need to be on the sidelines waiting for hope and for change when the people in power actually have the ability to do so, but we're sitting on our hands time and time again, trying to wrestle through thoughts when we can actually actively love people better. I believe that there's a way to actively love people better.
1: Yeah. I think one of the biggest frustrations of being in that environment the entire time was that everyone seemed to indicate that our leadership was still trying to figure it out and that things would change and that we were on sort of a trajectory to something different. But living in that environment of the, we're on our way to something different, could get very frustrating at times. Women were not the priority in that environment.
0: Even in places like our former church, which has historically been considered theologically progressive, we're still trying to figure out how to do ministry well and live life together. Often when we don't understand or share someone's experience, you brush it under the rug as less important than our own, especially when someone is claiming harm when you've had no ill intent. We hope that by having honest conversations about our experiences that you're invited into honest conversations about yours and have the curiosity to learn and grow from the stories and experiences of others. Well, that concludes our very first episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm gonna say a special thanks to our friend Charlie Shaw for sharing today, our beloved friends Kenya and Becca for keeping us organized and on track for our releases and to Alan Darling for mastering these tracks. Today's episode featured music off of my latest record So Far So Long, and we will list the resources mentioned in today's podcast in our show notes so that you can check them out for yourself. We will be doing weekly releases for the next several weeks, so stay tuned for next week's episode on The Billy Graham Rule. It's going to be awesome. See you then.